Good morning. Okay. Hi. Uh, the reading today is from Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. Okay. So if you've got a Bible. Yeah. Okay. To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and the message from these verses that you have laid on Chris's heart to bring to us this morning. Thank you for this time and the freedom we have to gather together. I pray that you would open our hearts and ears to hear what you are speaking to us, both individually and as a church family. I pray this in your almighty name. Amen. these things. Hello Thornhill. Good to see you. Thank you for your welcome. Uh, thank you for that wonderful reading of scripture. So clear. Really, really good. Uh, it's such a scary piece of scripture. I actually thought, Lord, have I got this right? But we'll come to that. I'd like to offer, you know, say uh, just, just a thanks for the invite. Uh, I don't know much about you, Thornhill. Uh, it's a lovely, friendly vibe here. It's lovely to hear that you know, the different nationalities and everything. I do know you've got a really good bloke as a pastor. Top. He's a top man, but you know that. Um, okay. I should say a bit about myself. I, 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 sorry, I'd just like to say uh, thank you to Jacob and the worship team. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you. I needed that. <laughs> oh, man, I needed that. It's been a hard couple of months. You know, my wife's been ill, you know, that sort of sickness thing, blah, blah. But sometimes you just need to shout the name of Yahweh. And you need to say he is worthy. And for me personally, I've been, I was so blessed in our time of worship. And, and when, you, when you lift up the name of Jesus, everything is put into context or proportion or whatever. Hallelujah, God is good. Okay. Uh, right, so I'm Chris, I'm retired, hallelujah, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Father, for that gift. <laughs> Sorry, laughing at my own jokes. My wife will be telling me off already, laughing at your own jokes. She's not here to keep an eye on me, so this is actually quite scary. 
because normally she's saying you're walking too much, you're talking too loud, you're drinking, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's okay. Don't don't feel you all need to take that uh, mantle on. Um, so um, yeah, so so I'm retired. So I had, I had a number number of of jobs in my career. I worked a lot uh, with with young people, challenging behaviour, young people. And I, I worked in housing, um, working with the homeless and all that sort of stuff, and uh, it was all going great. And then I had a call to be pastor. I'd been an elder, uh, and if you're an elder, you see what happens to a pastor, and you think, I never want to do that job. And uh, yeah, look after your pastor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that was all fine. And God called me. I thought, oh, man, I really don't want this. And uh, the word was very clear and very powerful. Um, and so I, I started to sort of work that through. But what I didn't do, and here's the learning thing, I didn't seek the Lord for the season. A word always comes with a season. There's a time and there's a word, and they go together. And if you get the time, you need the word. And if you get the word, you need the time. And I didn't seek the Lord for the time. And I caused myself, my family, and those around me a lot of grief because I had the timing out. I was seven years too early in, in, in thinking I am to be pastor. And when I let go of it, seven years later, click, they called me. I became pastor of Woody. And um, praise God. So I retired after seven years. I did a Jacob there. I uh, retired after seven years. And I'm back at Rabina Baptist now. So retirement, yeah. I could tell there was a difference in retirement. You know, what, you know, when you're young and you're young and newly married, unless you want to be together all the time, and you go through life, and you'll know exactly what I mean by this. Jan likes her own space. Uh, so when we get to re retirement, um, I, I love gardening, and I could spend quite a while, far too long, in a garden centre because I use it as my creative place. I find the cheap plants, I wonder if I can use that. I spend ages there. So before I retired, Jan would say, she'd text me and say, you've been an hour, where are you? You've been two hours. So I'd go home. Now I'd go back after three hours. She said, oh, you're back already. <laughs> Wasn't there another garden center you could go to? <laughs> if you're on the cusp of retirement, there's just a reality check for you. Let's look at the word. This is called, uh, do you know what, this is sliding off all the time. Does this angle change? Okay, just don't move it, Chris. All right, might have to, can, can we just flatten it so that, so that it's sort of, sort of straight? Sorry, guys. Ah, lovely, lovely. You're a multi-talented man, Pantos. Thank you very much, mate. That is lovely. That stops the water dropping off. Cool. I, that, that's, that, that's, that's the visual, okay, that's the PowerPoint. I'll, I, basically today is a bit more of a Bible study than, than a preach. I'm just going to go through because the Word's got a great structure. And this talk is called Here I Am, and I'm not talking about myself. Well, first of all, when I was praying about you, about you as a church, I just had a picture. I'm not saying that's from the Father, it's for you to test. It came as I was praying, so I thought I should share it with you and you know at the end of a football match where the team gather together the the the, the reserves and all the rest they gather together and the coach is in the middle and they're all together and they got their arms around each other whether it's been a good match or a bad match whatever but it's very important the team come together and they put their arms around each other and the coach is in the middle and they put their bags to one side whatever they've been carrying that and that's important and i just felt the lord was saying that thornhill you're a team you're a team. 
And Jesus is and wants to be in the center. And I would just encourage you to gather around him and to lay down the bags. Do you know, when we gather together, we all got stuff. I don't think it should have been done like that. I, I could have done. Why is that song? We got stuff. I, I just had the thing. The bags were all there. The main thing was the embrace. But the main, main thing is that Christ is in the center. It reminds you of um, Matthew 18, 20. Two or three gathered. Two or three, there am I, in the midst, some verse, some, some scriptures, some verses, with them. But there's a, sen- there's a sense that he's in the center, although he's totally one of them. And you know, that, that sense is, is actually right there in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So, Matthew 28, yeah, the Great Commission. After telling the disciples, telling the church, uh, make disciples... This is your job. This is what you've got to do. You've got to make disciples. And you've got to pass on to them all that I've shown you and taught you. All that you've learned from me, pass on. Okay. He says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. It's very important to see these connected. Very important. The message version says, and I'll be with you as you do this. Day after day after day. Right up to the end of the age. And that gets the sense. It's co-working. Sometimes the church thinks, oh, here's our list, like a recipe. We've got to go off and do this. We'll be back later, Jesus. We'll tell you how we got on. He says, no, I'm with you in this. We work together. You can't do it without me. But you, 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 you give it a go. I think the church has tended to think of the instruction and, and the fellowship and the presence of Christ's tasks as separate. Separate from communion and fellowship with him sometimes the other way around but it's also why he says later on his real sort of last word if you like at lax when he's going to be taken up he says wait i know i've given you all this to do and i know you're scared but wait and if you wait and pray i'll pour out my spirit and you'll receive the power of the holy spirit and that's been done so what can get in the way of that simple arrangement excuse me sorry what can get in the way of that? And that's why I want to look at this, this, uh, this the church at Laodicea. Um, first of all, just a bit about the book of Revelation. It's very important to, to realize that the book of Revelation, I'm not going to do a study on that. I'm not that dull. Um, the, the book of Revelation is very much from a heavenly perspective. It's all about the throne room and it's all about the crown and the king. And, and that is why when Jesus is there talking to a church, he's the Christ of glory. He is the Christ of glory. He is the king. He is the amen, or the amen, he, which is the final word. He is the alpha, and he is omega. And he is the one who is talking to his church. He's not coming in like a consultant. Or he's not coming in like, you know, oh, try this. He is the Lord. And that's why he's speaking to this church clearly through John. Give them this message. He's speaking to these churches in Asia Minor, in Turkey, so what does the message of, to Laodicea, this particular church, say to the church of today, particularly the Western church? Because I think that's who it's for. And listen, normally I would seek God for a specific message for a fellowship or whatever. And, and I would try to bring it and, and, and encourage. I'm a natural encourager. So I am not saying Thornhill, you are lukewarm. All right, I'm not bringing that. 
I just feel that God has given me this passage at this time for when I speak in churches, which isn't very often, and maybe less now. I, I just feel that this is something that the, the Western church, that our churches may be able to learn from. You may be able to learn from. That's between you and the Holy Spirit to watch over his word. I'm going to tell you a bit about the, um, the city of Laodicea. So it was um, a very wealthy and successful city. It had only been created about 300 years before. It was quite recent, especially compared to say, Colossae, which was 3,500 years old. Um, and in fact, it was very obscure. It was created as a gift. Get this, guys. This is set in the standard high. It was created as a gift as an emperor to his wife. I'll give you a city. And they brought in Jews from Babylonia and Syrians to people it, to populate it. So, um, it was very obscure until the Roman Empire created Rhodes. You know, they joined up everything with Rhodes and they brought their empire of Pax Romana, the peace of, of Rome. And it found itself on a crucial route between Ephesus on the coast, bringing trade from all over the world, into the center. And suddenly, it's in the right place at the right time. And it really makes a lot of money. It was a banking center and lots of money made from banks. Nothing changed there. It had a textile in... Now, you, you need to... There's clues here, all right, which will come up later. It's a bit like a murder mystery. It had a textile industry that was famous for its black wool. They had this luxury project that would go all over the world. Um, it was uh, also, know, also known for producing um, an expensive and, and, and effective medical eye salve. And it was actually... They had a teaching sort of center there for eye health and they had one of the one of the leading specialists of the ancient world so they they had so they were all about you know looking after eyes and and selling this wool and making money from the trade but one thing that was not perfect was its water nearby cities had very desirable water so Colossae had a mountain spring of cold fresh water people would go there for that and Hierapolis was famous for hot springs Cold water, hot springs. However, Colossae, and maybe this is why it took so long to, to, to build a town there, didn't have a water supply, so it, it brought it in from miles, about six miles away, over stone aqueducts. Yeah, so it warms up, and it takes on the taste of the stone. And in fact, the Laodiceans themselves had a saying, ah, I just want to puke this water up. Sorry to be so... Um, you know, uh, picturesque there. But that's what they would say. Our water is terrible and we can hardly drink it. I wish we had that or that. Anyway, and the church was probably founded by Epaphras who did Colossae as well. Right, so let's have a look at the words of Jesus, right? Okay. Jesus' judgment. Okay, I'm going to do a few bits here. Jesus' judgment. Put it down. That's my wife telling me, put the water down first. She still speaks. To, she's in my head. Huh? <laughs> Husbands, you know that feeling? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I know your deeds. I find that a very interesting phrase. I know your deeds. It would seem to suggest that he's looking for deeds. He's looking for his church to, to do something, to achieve something. To not just be, but to do something. 
So his diagnosis is based on the deeds or lack of them. But what are the deeds? And I would just like the two portions of scripture that speak of what he's looking for or what the kingdom is about in very different ways. So the first one is from Matthew 11. And what has happened is John the Baptist is in prison and he's getting really fed up, as you would in prison, and he's getting disillusioned. Was, it, was Jesus the Messiah? Did I get that wrong? I mean, you know, did I, did I see him right because he's my cousin? Or... So he sends his guys and they come over to Jesus. They go, John the Baptist, he's having a bit of a, you know, crisis of faith really. Are you the one or should he wait? And Jesus doesn't enter into a debate about his messiahship. He simply says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed by healing. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. You, there's the kingdom. Just tell him the kingdom is happening. The kingdom is happening. He's basically saying, all that was, was said in, you know, in Isaiah 60, that he said in Luke 4, remember when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me? That is happening, the kingdom of God. And when he said to his disciples, greater things than this you will do, you'll do all this, even greater things. And in Acts, that happened. And then, later on, remember, um, in, in Matthew, later on in Matthew, there's the whole thing of the judgment, and they gathered around the throne. And there's this bit where he says, you know, go from me. And they, whoa, 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 Lord, Lord, go, what? We, I never knew you. He said, and these others, he says, come to me. And they said, well, what did we do? And he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. You did it for the least. You did it for me. And I love those two sections together. The power of the Holy Spirit moving through the church in the kingdom. And the compassion of Christ in our hearts that puts us in those places. He's looking for fruit. That's what he says about the deeds. This business about lukewarm. Interestingly, Laodicea wasn't known particularly for a belief or anything. They had so many things going on there. Any crossroads town had loads of people coming in, different religions and everything. Loads of stuff going on. So they would learn to say, oh yeah, well if you want to, you know, that God over there and that God over there, that's all fine. So you compromise. You put up with everything. You tolerate. You wouldn't sort of rock the boat. And I wonder if, because that was, that was part of the town. They were, they were known for that. You would go there and there'd be no definite sort of opinions on anything. Don't offend anyone. And maybe that's why Jesus is saying they were lukewarm. And he was using the water to say that. I don't know. That's just through my reading. Anyway, let's move on. Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, their riches had led them to be proud and self-sufficient. We've got what we need. And today, in this materialistic age, we might even say, oh, they're to be envied. They don't need anyone. they got it all going on. they got the money. they got everything they need. They're independent. What a strength. What a virtue. In fact, they were so rich and self-sufficient, there was an earthquake in AD 60, and it leveled the place. And Nero said, right, okay, well, you've had a hard time. I'm going to give you federal funds, Roman central funds to build. And they said, no thanks. 
We're rich, we'll do it ourselves. We're good, we don't need your help. It's good to be self-sufficient, but you've got to watch what comes into that, haven't you? We don't need anybody, and perhaps there was a sense also, do you know what, we don't really need the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't need Jesus, we, we, we know how to do church, we, we, we can do this, we're laid us here. He knows their hearts, that's the thing. Jesus knows their hearts, it's a fair diagnosis. What does Jesus say in order to get them restored? Because you see, Jesus is always about restoration. Hallelujah. He's always about bringing out. Everything he says is to bring more of, of, of himself in us and, 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 and more, uh, more of the freedom in our lives. Everything he says is to move us on, isn't it? He says to them, I counsel you. Now, when Jesus said, I counsel you, you've got to really take notice. To buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Already rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. See how he knows them? I find this so beautiful. I find this so beautiful and such an encouragement. Do you know what? I should have said this at the beginning. This chapter, yeah, it is about the church, it's about history, it's about Jesus. Like most scripture, it's about Jesus. Because Jesus is rebuking them out of love and he knows them. Now that means that their wriggle room is really narrowed. Because he's not talking about them, he's talking about us. I know. But it shows that Jesus knew his church really, really well. He knew what they sold, what they bought, what they did, what they drank. And he said, listen guys. You see, Christ knows. Oh. Mm. He even speaks to them in a language they understand. They're traders. He says, buy from me. Let's, let, let's, let's do a deal. Let's do transaction. That's incredible, isn't it? He actually talks to them. <laughs> it's amazing. And the verse deals with three possessions, as you've noticed, that define them. They're defined by their wealth from trade, their black wool, and their eye medicine. And those are the things he speaks to. Those things are okay, but they're nothing compared to what Christ can give. Refined gold. Buy from me refined gold. The true riches of knowing Christ. Gold speaks of kingship. The true king. White robes of righteousness. You can make billions on yours, but you need my robes of righteousness that I give. And I sell that enable spiritual sight. So you see what he's done there. It's amazing. So in a sense, Christ is the ultimate trader. And a lot of our interaction with him is what I'd call transactional. You know, we give and that. And in fact, I've got to say, the, the word that really got me into this scripture was that bit, buy from me. Because how do we buy from God? How, how, how do we buy? I haven't actually come to an answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you my sort of musings on this. And I couldn't find any, anything in, in, the, in, the, in the literature really speaking with it. I just find this amazing, this idea. And there's a, there's a number of, of sort of senses here, isn't it? Where it says in Isaiah, uh, come, you have no money, buy from me. You know? hmm. You've got no money, we're going to buy from you. We're going to take from you because it's already been paid. And Jesus echoes that as well. Then I got to think about what can I give Christ and what does he give me? And the deal is very much my way. 
my spiritual poverty, my brokenness for his riches, my emptiness for his filling, my sin for his righteousness, my turmoil for his peace, my blindness for his vision. The list can continue. My mourning for his joy, my ashes for his beauty, my despair for his hope. The whole thing of walking with Christ is transactional. Isn't it amazing? Where you say, I've got this and nobody wants it. And I go on it. Christ says, I'll take it. If you don't know Jesus, sorry. If you don't know Jesus, you won't have seen really how it works <laughs> of um, this sense of him taking stuff and giving of himself. You'll only see it as what you give up. And you do give up stuff. I, I did pray that, that, that the Holy Spirit would just take this moment because I didn't know how to deal with this. So I just encourage you, if you'll be moved by any of this, you just later find someone to talk to. Bring it back. Church, what he's saying is, church, you think you can buy everything. You think your money opens away. But my grace and gifts are free. You just need to accept them in humility. You need to ask. What did James say? You don't have because you don't ask. It's a relationship. Oh, Father. Don't trust in your own resources. Don't trust in your own righteousness. Stewardship is great. You know, you've got to hear my heart here. Stewardship is great. final point on this however to walk with him in the fullest measure we also do need to give him the things that we treasure just realize that rhymes that's quite good actually isn't it to walk with him in the fullest measure this could be a song we need to give him the things that we treasure you see there is a point where christ says now i'll take that it's sometimes it's easy to give him all the other stuff easier and then he says how about your heart about your will, your time, your worship, yourself, your wallet. And then you realize, yes, Christ, you've given everything. I can never outgive you. And then, excuse me. Then there is, I need to deal with this verse, those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. He's just telling you like it is. Sometimes we can get a bit, I don't know, oversensitive perhaps. All Jesus can say to us is, I love you and everything is great. It's, that's not a real relationship. When my wife, when I get home, I'm coming back from the garden centre, sorry. And my, my wife said, oh, you're back already. She still loves me. 
She just was enjoying the peace and quiet. You know what I mean? She still loves me. She's just saying, oh, you bought plants. Do you want to go and plant them? Our marriage is all right, by the way. Well, you perhaps you better talk to her. Um, Jesus could be quite harsh with his disciples. He once said to his disciples, not just the whole bunch, how long have I got to put up with you? That's, that's encouraging management speak, isn't it? Take that into your, you know, into your well-being thing. You know, how long have I got to put up with you? <laughs> it's like, because Jesus was real. And he loved them, and they knew that he loved them. But because he loved them. Sometimes love needs to express itself in being prepared to challenge wrong attitudes and have difficult conversations. Love, love has to be real. Sometimes that's what it takes to motivate people. You see, Jesus bought the church. He bought transactional with his blood. He paid for the church. I'm going to bang this. Full. Full payment made. On the nail. Done. <laughs> if there's a hallelujah inside, you can let it go now. Mm. It is finished. It's finished. But that means, thank you, that means that he has got the right to say, your mind paid for you with my life, my precious blood. With, that's the gospel, hallelujah. So he got the right to say to the church, you're not up to the mark here. You're not where you should be. You're not where I want you to be. And then the next stage of this, I finished with this. Well, yeah, you don't trust a pastor when they say that, sorry. What is next? What's he going to say to them next? He's rebuked them. They haven't repented as far as you know. There's not a conversation going on here. He's rebuked them. What's next? Here I am. Behold, I stand at the door of the church and continually knock. I'm reading from the Amplified. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and restore him and he with me. This is where the grace of God just falls. The grace of God is all over this. Because he's rebuked them and he's loved them and he's shown them and he's, you know, he's brought things up, he's shone a light and then he says, here I am. Now, you've got you've to hear. If you've been asleep through this, this time to wake up, this is the heart. This is the heart of Father and the heart of our Savior. Before the church repentant, he is offering fellowship he waits at the door. So the one who is the king of kings, the one who at the beginning is the amen, the final word, he's now, picture this, at the side of the house on a door, maybe like a traveler with a cloak and a staff going. That's the Lord of glory outside this church. This, this passage has blessed me so much about the grace and power of Christ. And the fact that, that the way he would say to his people is that I want to come in and have fellowship with you. But I'm not coming in as a king. I'm not going to kick the door down. I'm not going to get my angels to blow the walls off. I want you to invite me in and we will have fellowship. Now it's important to think about this fellowship business. This is not let's do coffee. This is not McDonald's. 
This is a meal in the style, in that sense of what they meant by fellowship then. This is in, in, in this time and still in the Middle East. When you fellowship together, you participate in something together. You identify together. You become one. This is why it annoyed the Pharisees so much. Not that he met with sinners, not that he talked to them, but he ate with them. This fellow eats with sinners. Yeah? Because it was that identifying, it was fellowship. When you read Luke, Jesus is always on his way to a meal or he's on his way from a meal. Check it out. It was all about the meals because he's saying, I need to fellowship with you. We'll meet together around the table. You will talk, I will listen. I will listen, you will talk. We are one. And that's what he's saying to the church. That's what he's saying to the church. He's just rebuked. He's just giving them a hard time. But he says it, if anyone hears my voice. If anyone hears that. Perhaps the church was so busy working out their own stuff. They, Can anybody hear knocking? No, I can't. I, whatever. Check the door. He is knocking. We've always taken this verse, yeah, as an individual salvation verse, you know, and we've taken it out of context, I feel. It still works, but context is so important when you look at Scripture. Context is absolutely key. And to me, this is where this fits. It's an individual thing. It's a fellowship thing. I was so blessed when, at the beginning of a service today, Math made... You just made such a welcome for the Holy Spirit. It was brilliant. Your whole first thing was like, come on to your church. It was like, I got, oh, mate, you know, I, that nails it. Oh. But it's that heart, isn't it? It's carrying on with that. It's inviting him into everything. All meetings, just it's around Jesus. All right, I want to encourage you, maybe challenge you. I know the exit's there, so I'm okay. In order to obey the church... Sorry, in order to obey Christ, the church has to listen to him. Yeah? You have to hear to obey. And I understand that you're experimenting or exploring is a better word, but you hear about how to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to strongly encourage you in this. It's not easy, and once you start this journey, it is hard to keep pressing in because setbacks happen. But it's clearly the teaching of Scripture that even when it risks division, the whole Corinthian thing, the church keeps seeking the full counsel, Lord, through the anointed and faithful preaching of the word and the wise exercise of the gifts in love. All I would encourage you to do, Team Thornhead, is stay gracious. Stay gracious. Keep covering yourselves and each other in grace. Let love cover the mistakes. You will make mistakes. Let, let, let love cover them. That's why, the, that's why the love chapter is in between in Corinthians. All of the chapters exhorting all to prophesy and all to, and so on and so on and so on. Keep encouraging. Keep encouraging. Find something to encourage and encourage that. And hold back on the bit that isn't so good. But have honest conversations. If something is bothering you, have that conversation. Talk to the leaders, talk to one another. Stay real, stay real. Because the, the potential of, of, of walking in this is huge. The enemy will try to trip it up, but he can't get in through love and the covering of the blood. And when you come together, he, he, he works through trying to divide you off. I would encourage all of you to take responsibility. And remember Paul's words from Thessalonians, end of chapter 5. Thessalonians 1, do not quench the spirit and do not treat prophecies with contempt. 
could test them all. What's clear is that the church can't be what he wants, can't fulfill his great commission without his power, his fellowship, and his presence. Okay. I won't, I won't do the summary. Um, yeah. I would just like to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this fellowship, for this house and this fellowship and the welcome they give you and the welcome they give strangers. I ask your blessing upon them. In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask that you would give them the grace at this time as they, like a lot of churches, are dealing with a number of issues in different ways of what, you know, the truth and teaching and how to relate to people and moving forward in the gifts. I ask for your grace, oh God, to be on this place as they step into some maybe new stuff or unfamiliar stuff. May your grace beyond them in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus may the Lord go before you may the Lord walk with you may the Lord come after you in the name of Jesus Christ may the Lord bless you and keep you guide you may his favor be upon you and may he cause his shalom peace to be in this place as you gather around him as the team Thornhill. In Jesus' name, amen.